listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. All the activities of your life must be centered around, centered upon, embracing and cultivating intimacy with God that He desires. All the activities of your life, and I mean all of them, every single activity of your life must be centered upon embracing and cultivating intimacy with God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. Eve has just taken the forbidden fruit. She's given some to her husband. They both realize that they're naked. They have disobeyed God. The first sin has come into the world, disobedience. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Here's what happens immediately after that. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is the first time that man and woman, human beings, are hiding themselves from God because there's shame, there's conviction. They knew that they did something they should not have done. They disobeyed. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, responsibility falling on the shoulders of the man, should have been leading his household, should have been protecting his wife. Did you recognize that Eve took the fruit first, but the Bible says that sin came into the world through Adam, not Eve. The Lord God called to the man and said these three faithful heart-wrenching words. Where are you? For the first time, God cannot find the pinnacle of his creation, man. For the first time, God has broken fellowship with the people he created in his own image. And can you not hear the heartbreak of God in those three words translated into the English, where are you? The mystery of the omnipotent, omniscient, the all-powerful, all-knowing God not being able to find, of course, he knew where they were, but he knew something was up, something happened that broke fellowship between him and the people that he created. Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, Adam says, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. See, blame goes way back to the very beginning. Not my fault, but it was his fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, the blame game just goes on and on. Intimacy with God is everything in life. All of the activities of your life must be centered upon embracing and cultivating the intimacy that God designed you for with himself. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 
Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts, notice the sensuality of the mind, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Intimacy with God is everything. You must cultivate, you must embrace, you must pursue, you must be intentional about making intimacy with God the number one priority in your life. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 13. In our Father's Word, Luke chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus going through towns and villages, teaching on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross, on his way to that place of being shunned, spat upon, rejected. The place where he would be separated from his father for the very first time. This is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, going through the towns, going through the villages, teaching. And at that very hour, verse 31, Luke 13, 31, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, some Pharisees, oftentimes what we see Luke doing in his gospel is, is he's saying, he's painting with a broad brush, he's referring to the Pharisees in one fell swoop. But here he says, some Pharisees, not all the Pharisees were necessarily against Jesus. There seems to be an implication that some of them, a few of them, a handful of them were concerned about Jesus. You're familiar with John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, one of the leaders of Israel, comes to Jesus at night, not wanting to be seen by the others. Now, don't get so hard on Nicodemus. Don't be so difficult on Nicodemus. You've been a coward in your life as well, haven't you? I have been. We've all been ashamed of Jesus at times where we wish we could be bolder for Jesus. We wish we could, in the, on that rooftops, on the housetops, in full daylight, be a witness for Jesus Christ. But instead, we, like Nicodemus, like to let our opinion about Jesus be known at nighttime when not many people can see it. There are some among the leaders of Israel who recognized Jesus for who he was, knew that he was more than just a man, more than just a prophet. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, you go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, verse 31, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. At best, there are a few Pharisees who are genuinely concerned in the welfare of Jesus, understanding that Herod presents a threat to Jesus. 
And therefore, they're warning him. At best, there are some Pharisees who are concerned about Jesus. At the very worst, these Pharisees are phony balonies being consistent with the other Pharisees in the Scriptures who are opposed to Jesus, and all they want to do is get Jesus off their turf, get Jesus out of their way because the crowds are following Jesus. Jesus has a reputation for, for performing miraculous signs and wonders, and he's getting more and more people to follow him than the Pharisees have following them. And at the very least, this is a competitive statement where they want Jesus out of the picture so that they can have their following back. You see, Jesus, being sent by God the Father, was intruding upon the territory of those who should have had the crowd, who should have been teaching the people the ways of God but weren't. See, again, we see in the Scriptures that just because somebody has a leadership position doesn't mean that they are responsibly leading people to the feet of Jesus. Position doesn't mean anything. Position only provides an opportunity. See, if you've been given a position of leadership, you have been given a priceless, precious opportunity by God to do something with that leadership. You'll either build your own turf in your own kingdom with a small lowercase k, or you will build the kingdom of God, capital K. Lead people to the feet of Jesus. Point people to Jesus. For Pete's sake, do something with the position that God has given you. Some of us, God has given us a small position, but it's a position nonetheless. Do something with that position. Lead people to the feet of Jesus. Be passionate about pursuing Jesus and leading people to his very presence. Do not mistake having a position of leadership with being a person who responsibly uses that position in a leveraged way to get people to discover and experience God with deepening intimacy. At the very best, some Pharisees were concerned finally about Jesus. At the very worst, they were continuing to be hypocrites and wanted Jesus out of the way so that they could be the center of attention again. How ironic that somebody called by God to lead people into the presence of God would ultimately lead people only to themselves. Be careful, because you are accountable before God. Be careful that you really are using the position God gave you to lead people to the feet of Jesus. And I'm not just speaking, if you're listening by podcast or you're listening live right now, I'm not just speaking about church leaders, elders, and deacons, and pastors, lead pastors, and senior pastors, and associate pastors, and Sunday school teachers, and people who are involved in Awana, youth ministry, and children's ministry. I'm not just speaking about people who have formal positions. I'm speaking about anybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christ follower, you are called to lead people to follow the Jesus that you are following. Every single Christ follower has been given a position of leadership. Leadership is influence. 
That's what leadership is. And if you are a Christ follower, you have been given influence. You have it on the authority of God's word. You've been given influence to lead people to follow the Jesus that you are following. Look at Jesus' response here to the concern, whether it's genuine or false. The concern here in Luke 13, 32, he said to them, he doesn't blink, doesn't flinch. He says to them, go tell that fox. You know, on the back of our house, we get up early in the morning some days. And sometimes we get the privilege of seeing deer. We see, I don't want to tell you where I live because I know you hunters are taking note right now. We'll see some doe in the backyard. We'll see a spike or two in our backyard. Just wait a little bit longer until it changes from being a spike to a buck of some sort. We see Franklin. Franklin, who's Franklin? Franklin is our one of two named groundhogs that are in the back of our yard. And when I'm cutting my grass with my tractor, I from time to time will fall into the hole that Franklin has dug so well. He's made himself at home in my backyard. And once in a while, we'll get up early in the morning and we will see a red, or I saw a golden-colored fox at the back of our house. A marvelous spectacle to see a fox, unless, of course, you have chickens or any type of livestock. You don't want to see a fox. Foxes are known to be crafty, cunning, problematic. And Jesus calls Herod a fox. He says, go tell that fox what he says. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Three times, and Jesus begins, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Three times the word Jerusalem is used there. Jesus knew that he had lived to die. He knew that his life would culminate in death. He knew that his purpose was to go to Jerusalem. Historically, the prophets were stoned, killed in Jerusalem. Nearby, Jerusalem, the epicenter of worship for the Jewish people. And therefore, I say this unapologetically, the epicenter of worship, humanly speaking, from an earthly perspective, for the living and true God. There are uh, no other gods before him. There are no other gods before him. I say this lovingly. I say it compassionately. But Mecca is not the place where the living and true God is worshipped and served. You don't need to make a trek to a certain geographical place to worship the living and true God. Although at this time in history, the temple was there only for another maybe four decades or so before it was destroyed. And Jesus teaches us a thing or two about leadership here because you see the difference between good leadership and great leadership is one simple thing. The difference between a good leader and a great leader is one simple thing, and you will either be a merely good leader in your household, or you will be a great leader. 
You will be either a good leader at your place of employment, whether you're a boss or whether you're working for somebody else, or you will be a great leader. You will either be a good leader in your church, pastors and elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers and children's ministry workers and student ministry workers and youth workers. You will either be a good leader or you will be a great leader. You see, good leaders merely cast vision. That's what a good leader does. A good leader merely casts vision. You say, well, isn't that important to cast vision? Of course it is. That's what would make you, that's what would make me a good leader. Good leaders cast vision, but they merely cast vision. Great leaders are committed to the vision they cast. Great leaders live the vision they talk about. I would go so far as to say that a great leader gives his life for the vision. A great leader gives her life for the vision. Now, how are you living? The vision that God has laid out for you, if it's indeed God's vision. See, the first thing you've got to determine is whether or not it's your vision or God's vision. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl has a right to be passionate about a vision that God has not given you. If God hasn't given you the vision, then stop wasting your time trying to fulfill it. You know, some people have wasted their entire lives, precious as they are, trying to fulfill a vision that's second best. The difference between a good leader and a great leader is that a good leader merely casts vision. A great leader is committed to the point of death, to the fulfillment of that vision. Now, I would say there are 1.3 billion Muslims in the world right now. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, there will be many more because they are propagating like rabbits the way evangelical Christians are not. 1.3 billion Muslims on this world, only about, they say, 20% of them are considered to be radical. That's 200 to 300 million of them. The population of the United States of America, that's the equivalent. They have demonstrated and they are demonstrating for us what the minority can do to create a significant change in the entire world. All it takes is a dedicated minority to change the face of this earth. That's all it takes. They have demonstrated and they are demonstrating to us what it means to be great leaders committed to the point of death, committed to the point of death for the fulfillment of their vision to get people to submit to Sharia law above the Constitution required to submit to Islamic law, Sharia law, above and beyond the laws of any organized government. That is their mission. That is their vision. And they are pursuing that accomplishment through academic means, by educating their children, and by taking places of positions of influence in leadership, in educational institutions, in high offices of government. Our president has people in high offices of government. You can research this for yourself. 
the President of the United States of America, listen to me, has Muslims in high places of leadership in this country who are dedicated visionaries, excellent leaders who want to see the advancement of Islam, not the advancement of the Constitution of the United States of America. They do not value the Declaration of Independence or the Federalist Papers. They don't value the documents that made and make the United States of America what they are. Even though I say it reluctantly, I must admit they are great leaders committed to the fulfillment of their vision. And I would say, where are we men and women of God committed to the advancement of Jesus' vision? Where are the great leaders today in the church, the house of God, demonstrating this single-mindedness of purpose that Jesus has as the greatest of all leaders who is not merely casting a vision, but is committed to the vision. Notice what he says. He said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. It's not what Herod wants to do. It's what I am going to do. It's what I am going to accomplish. A great leader accomplishes the vision of God, not a false God, not a phony baloney God. You can dress a fake God up any way you want. Say there's any type of a book that substantiates your idolatrous image of God. There's only one God, the God of the Bible, the living and true God, all others, lowercase g. They're not gods. They're created in our own image. And trying to get people to bow down and follow false gods is idolatry and mass. Jesus is demonstrating for us what great leadership is. He will not allow himself to be deterred from his own death. He will not allow himself from being deterred from even a leader of leaders, Herod, a leader of the people. Jesus will not allow himself to be moved an iota by someone who is cunning and characterized as a fox, and neither should you. There's no difficulty in your life that is bigger than Jesus. Trust Jesus to give you strength, give you his vision, give you his fortitude. There's no health issue. There's no money issue. I've had serious money issues. At one time in my life, I was like $40,000 in debt. Not anymore. Glory to God. At one time in my life, I had life-threatening illness with a softball-sized tumor wrapped around my superior vena cava, which is next to the Anagata Davida, <laughs> right here in my chest. I've had health problems. I was conscious when they took a four-inch hollow needle and stuck it into my chest to take the biopsy when it came out looking like a string of top ramen, and I rebuked it in the name of Jesus. I knew that I had a health problem. There's no difficulty you're facing in your life, whether it's financial or whether it's health or whether it's relational. That is a big enough vision to get you sidetracked from the glory and the kingdom of God. Yet it happens all the time. There are all kinds of things in your life and in mine that distract us from sincere and pure 
devotion to Christ. There are all types of things that seemingly jump out of closets and scare us like the boogeyman, making us quake and shake, that get us distracted to do what Adam did, what Eve did, to disobey God, to use our own human reasoning, to use our own sensibility, what we think is sensible. Listen, what you think is sensible is senseless before Almighty God. All types of things in this life, in this world, living outside of Eden that are by design candidates for getting us distracted from the number one pursuit in your life, which must be intimacy with God. Not dreaming about it, not thinking about it, but making it Happen. Look with me at verse 35, Luke 13, 35. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a reference from Psalm 118. If you begin in verse 25, turn with me. Psalm 118, 25. Let your fingers do the walking. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Interesting that Jesus would be using Psalm 118, 26. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to get the people, the Jewish people, to go look up that verse just like we're doing now and to see its context, to see how it's something calling out to the Lord. It's a messianic, again, particularly, all scripture is messianic, pointing to the Messiah, but this is particularly potent. It's poignant. It's particularly significant. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Jesus, right there in the midst of the Jewish people. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords upon up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Look with me at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Another instance where Jesus is distraught over Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus is so distraught over Jerusalem that something happens to his eyes. Something happens to his heart. Something happens to his emotions. And Luke 19, 41 when he drew near the city, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Just four decades after the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the temple would be destroyed by the Romans would be fulfilled what Jesus just 
I just read here about Jesus in Luke 19. That would be fulfilled. Jesus Jesus says, behold, your house is left to you destitute. And all of it in one sense, completely unnecessary, and yet necessary because the people were not willing to make intimacy with God the number one pursuit. See, these very religious people, people who had the very temple of God symbolically representing the presence of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God, the living and true God, the only God there really is. They had the temple, these very religious people, the Jewish people, the people whom God began with in revealing himself. Now we non-Jews are beneficiaries of the goodness of God. The gospel, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, it was for the Jew first and then for the non-Jew. The irony is that these very religious people began to get involved in religious ritual and had lost sight of relationship. They had lost sight of the number one thing all the activities in their life should have been about, which is intimacy with God. Look with me at Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Jesus is giving the imagery of a hen with chicks underneath. We used to live on a farm, and if you try to touch those chicks, you can try to touch the eggs before they're even chicks. That hen will give you a piece of its mind by giving you a piece of its wing. You don't touch the chicks that the mother hen is protecting and coddling, and Jesus is saying, how often? I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. This is a symbolism of protection, motherly love, motherly affection. God was willing But the Israelites were unwilling. Jesus says, but you were not willing. And as a consequence to that, judgment is going to come upon you. Behold, your house is left to you destitute. There is a future fulfillment behind Psalm 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When the nation of Israel, Romans 11, 25, the nation of Israel will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. There's a future fulfillment about that, but Jesus is making it very clear that judgment comes to the Jewish people because they were not willing to make intimacy with God their number one pursuit. Now, I have this umbrella in my hand, very large umbrella, and as long as I am walking underneath this umbrella, it doesn't matter what type of rain is around me because I'm dry. And see, the truth of the matter is that God has a very large umbrella. Very adequate umbrella. If we stay close to the Lord, we're we're kept safe from the ravages of life. If we walk in intimacy with God, we're protected from the rains that would come. If we walk too fast and get ahead of God, we come out from under his protective covering. If we lag behind and don't follow too closely, we begin to get behind from where God's going. We subject ourselves to the elements of life. Listen, life is difficult whether you're walking with God or whether you're not walking with Him, but the difficulties that we have in walking with God come with the promise of God giving us protection that only God can give. That's right. Yeah. 
Listen, burnout, we've all burned out. I've burned out. Took me a long time to recover from burnout. We've all burned out. You know, burnout is the result of doing something God never called you to do. Or burnout is the result of doing something God called you to do in a power apart from the power and provision that God provided for you. That's why burnout comes. Burnout is not our real problem. Burnout is a symptom of the first and foremost problem, a loss of intimacy with God. You must remember that the most important thing in life is intimacy with God. You must remember that intimacy with God in life is everything. Burnout is a consequence of losing intimacy with God. We begin to do things God never called us to do. Or we begin to do things that God did call us to do in our own power and in our own strength. And therefore we burn out. There are two things that every man needs in life. Two things that every man needs in life. One thing that every man of God needs in life. Two things. Number one, you'd need this as your space. I finally got my garage cleared out. Finally built my work table. I finally have my man cave. Every man needs a man cave. You need a place where you can create. Even create things that you really don't need. Your wife will help you determine those things, and it's up to you to listen. (laughs) Every man needs a man cave, but every man of God needs a prayer closet. Why am I focusing on men? Because the Bible focuses on men. It was Adam who was responsible for the fall of the human race when his wife took the fruit first. He was apparently close enough where he could have done something to prevent his wife from doing what she did. He didn't speak out. He didn't exercise the leadership that he was given. And therefore, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, not through Eve. You may or may not have a man cave. I'm thankful I have one. You should be thankful too. But you must have a prayer closet because in the prayer closet, that's where you cultivate intimacy with God. That's where your whole life begins to change when you're under the protective covering of God, just you and God in your prayer closet. It can be a real closet that you clean out and have your yard sale. Develop that prayer closet someplace in your house where you can get uninterrupted time with you and the Lord. I have an outdoor prayer closet in my patio area where I can go early in the morning, late at night, sit there with my Bible, which is synonymous with sitting with God. Because God will speak to you through his word. And I sit there with the Bible, something to write with, so that when God speaks to me through his word, I can write it down. And I spend time in that prayer closet. Now, you might have a prayer closet. You might have multiple prayer closets. Another great thing for you to do is to take a prayer walk. Some of the most significant times that I've had with God have been with me all by myself, going on a walk, reading the Bible, reading the Word of God, and then going for a walk to pray it back to the Lord and to listen to the Lord, to process it. Your prayer closet can be in the great outdoors. 
Just don't allow yourself to deceive yourself. Listen, we're to pray continually. Don't think that your prayer closet is while you're in your man cave. Two separate things. I'm focusing on men because we are in a leadership crisis in this country. And men, we've got to begin leading our families. You're in a leadership position. Awesome. Start leading. Start being the man of God, not just a man. Genetically, you're a man. Being a man of God is a choice. The reason why what's happening in this country is happening is because men have neglected intimacy with God, and we are paying a heavy price for it. It is a catastrophic price that will be felt for generations. Do you understand that our country is dissolving? The family is dissolving, riding off into the sunset, never to be seen again. This country may never come back. It is not because of the elective officials we have put there. It is not because of what's happening at a government level. It's because of what's happening at a spiritual level. We have historical precedent. Your land is left to you desolate. Why? Because you would not, would not what? Allow God to be the protective covering that comes as a result of abiding with him. Men, where are we at this crucial time in history? Ladies, where are we at this crucial time in history? My fear is that what happened to the nation of Israel will soon happen to this country. It will happen to any country who begins with the Lord and then forsakes him. God provides the umbrella. God provides the promise. God provides the invitation. But we must take God up on his invitation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often... Would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Everything in life hinges upon intimacy with God. Why not get serious about that? Why not draw near to God? You'll either burn out or you'll be transformed. You don't have enough time to waste. You don't have time as a luxury None of us in this country have time as a luxury to waste when Rome is burning. Jesus helps us understand this principle. The house was left desolate, would be left desolate to Israel for no other reason than they were not willing to do what they had every responsibility to do, to allow Jesus to be the God that he said he would be. They were not willing. Was God able? Of course he was. Did God want to? Of course he did. He said, how often? Great frequency. This is where the great intentional desire, a passion, how often Jesus wanted to gather his people as a hen gathers her chicks. There's only one problem. There was not another willing party. They were not willing. And so the consequence of that, the byproduct of that, is that God sent discipline their way, judged them, got them to think about their own lives, got them to think about their failure to continue in the intimate abiding with God. And they were judged as a nation. 
in this nation of ours, history repeats itself. Individually in your family, you will go through difficulties as a family you otherwise would not go through if you would prioritize intimacy with God. If you would make sure you don't walk too fast, get ahead of God. If you would make sure you don't walk too slow, lag behind, intimacy with God is everything in life. It is everything You must make sure that all the activities of your life, I must make sure that all the activities of my life, listen, we must make sure that all the activities of our life are centered upon embracing and cultivating intimacy with God. God is willing. God is desirous of being intimate and close with us. The question is, are you willing? You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm-hmm.